0: the third chapter of Jonah, covering the third chapter of Jonah. I'm going to dive right in. Third chapter of Jonah, the scripture says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sad cloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them fall out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. For the last couple weeks, we have covered the first half of Jonah's life, Jonah's ministry in chapters one and two. But this second half, chapter three, is what I would call the what next chapter. It's a chapter where Jonah trying to figure out how to move forward after what he's done. You know, many of our lives look like the life of Jonah, where we've messed up, and now we're wondering what's next. But the first point of this message this morning is that God is forgiving. God is forgiving. The first couple verses of Jonah 3, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Everybody say the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Again, we've covered the first half of Jonah's life and ministry in chapters one and two. In the first chapter, we know that Jonah rebelled against God to the point where it affected the lives and the livelihood of those around him. His sin caused the merchants on the ship to throw away their livelihood. It cost them to their lives it it seemed as if the ship would break apart and to resolve all of this Jonah is thrown into the sea and then he's swallowed by a great fish that's chapter one and then in chapter two it seems as if Jonah is separated from God and then, for after a moment of repentance God commands the fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land and now Jonah's on the shore Jonah's messed up and now he's on dry land looking like everything he's been through He's covered in vomit. He's covered in spit. He's covered in mucus. He smells like everything he's been through. By now, I can imagine his skin is pale. His skin is wrinkled. His clothes are drenched and possibly molded. His hair is completely untamed. Jonah is a hot, nasty mess. He is a hot, nasty mess. He no longer has the look of this clean, renowned preacher. He simply looks like a man facing hardship. And the crazy thing is, it's all his fault. Jonah messed up, and his sin led him down a dark road. His sin led to disaster. His sin led to chaos. His sin put others in danger. And it seems as if this is a preacher that many of us would write off. This is a preacher people will stop listening to nowadays. This is a preacher we will walk away from. This is a preacher that's done something that seems unforgivable, but God is forgiving. Jonah has been vomited up on dry land. Again, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. What moves me about that text is not only what God said, but what God didn't say. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God didn't say, now, Jonah, you know how you got in this mess, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he didn't say, you remember what happened the last time I called you, right? Jonah, we're going to try this again and we'll see what happens. I know what's going to happen, but let's, let's, let's just see how this works out. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you, what God is saying in this verse, if I could sum up verse two in a nutshell, God is saying, you're forgiven, go and serve. See, some of us have done things that seem so unforgivable, and then we felt convicted. We've repented of our sin. We've been through years of counseling. We've had leaders and pastors and small group leaders walk through with us through the process of restoration, and yet here we are years later, walking in sorrow, condemning ourselves, for what we've done in the past. Here we are on the shore wondering what to do next, how to move forward. And before I move forward in this message, I want to point something out because I brought up the word condemnation. First thing I want us to understand is that there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. There's a difference. Conviction is the Holy Spirit reminding us of the standard of Christ it's a weight of recognition that we've sinned once we feel that weight, God forgives us he gives us what we need to move on we move on which means conviction leads to another chance condemnation however is the finish line when you've reached the finish line there's nothing else to be done when you reach the finish line there's nothing else you have to do It's too late to change. It's too late to move on. It's too late to grow. So condemnation is when you find identity in your sin. So when someone says this is just who I am, that's condemnation. When someone says I was born this way and this is just who I am and you have to accept it because I have, that's condemnation. Condemnation says this is who you are and there's nothing that can be done. You have to fix this. You need to get yourself together. You need to redeem yourself. Condemnation focuses on you, 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 what you need to do. And anything that causes a believer to focus completely on self is not from God. And so if it's not from God, it's from the devil. Condemnation is from the devil. And so the devil wants every believer to feel condemned. Because condemnation is what separates man from God. If a Christian feels separated, then they'll walk in rebellion. If a Christian feels separated, they'll avoid fellowship with other believers. They'll avoid serving and they'll avoid connecting, ultimately hindering their growth in Christ. It's about the feeling. It's about the feeling. The devil's not dumb. He knows he can't separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if he can whisper lies to believe or to a believer to make them feel separated, then he counts that as a win. It's about the feeling. If the devil can keep you focused on yourself, on your flesh rather than God's word, he counts that as a win. It's about the feeling. He wants a believer to feel separated, to feel condemned. But I'm standing here as a flawed. Christian preacher to remind every believer and to declare to every unbeliever that the devil is a liar. And so if you're in Christ, you are no longer condemned because condemnation causes us to focus completely on ourselves. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction causes us to focus on Christ. Conviction is the recognition of our weakness, but it's also the recognition of God's strength. Conviction is where we see our wrong and we depend on God to purify us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so that means the Holy Spirit lets every believer know that it's not too late to change. He lets every believer know that it's not too late to start fresh. It's not too late to try again. And that's what makes verse two so powerful. God tells Jonah, arise. The first thing that God tells Jonah to do is stand up. That's what arise means, stand up. So that means Jonah was on the ground. Jonah was on the, on the shore laid out trying to figure out what to do next. But God says, stand up. You're forgiven. You're restored. Stand up. That's the first thing we need to do. Stand up. Some of us have made mistakes that seem unforgivable, and it seems as if God, we could never be used by God. But God is forgiving. He'll take a sinner and he'll transform them and he'll use them to save souls. And if he can do that with a non-believer, he can do that with a believer who sinned. Some of us have been in Jonah's situation. We've messed up, we've repented, we've been through counseling and now we're on the shore laying around holding the past against us. But just as the word of the Lord came to Jonah again, the word of the Lord has come to us again through his written word saying, you're forgiven, stand up you may need a pastor or a small group leader to grab you by the hand it may take a spouse or it may take a friend you may need to talk to someone on how to move forward but at the end of the day the lord says you're forgiven stand up and serve you're not condemned by god if you're in christ so god is saying where are your accusers where are those who have condemned you neither do i condemn you go and sin no more go and serve go and and grow in your faith. Go! Doesn't matter how far you've fallen. God is forgiving. God commands Jonah to go and preach. Brings me to the next point. We are commanded to preach truth. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days and breadth. The first word that I want to focus on in this point is the word command. A commandment leaves us with no options. It leaves us with no room for our plans. When God commands us, when the command of God comes to us, it's too high for us to o- to go over it. It's too wide for us to get around it. And it's too vast for us to get away from it. When God commands us to do something, he leaves us with no options. God commands Jonah to preach. That's the second word that I want to focus on in this point. The word preach. The word preach. Preaching is declaring, proclaiming what has been received. Every Christian on the planet is called to preach. Well, I'm not called to preach because I I'm, I can't stand behind the podium and speak on a Sunday morning. Can't be called to preach. Not even a public speaker. More behind the scenes person. So how am I called to preach. Preaching goes beyond what's declared behind the podium on a Sunday morning. But when you take time to unpack the gospel with someone over a meal, you're practicing a form of preaching. When you take the time to disciple and invest in someone, we're practicing a form of preaching. When you serve God's people in a ministry, you're practicing a form of preaching. God commanded Jonah to preach. Not only are we commanded to preach, but we're commanded to preach truth. We're commanded to preach truth. Every religion has preachers. I only got one amen and it's from a baby. We're commanded to preach truth. Every religion, that's what I'm talking about. Say it again. Every religion has preachers. Every religion has preachers. Muslims have preachers. Buddhists have preachers. They preach at weekly gatherings. This may not be set up like ours, but they preach at weekly gatherings. They lead worship, but it's not truth. We're commanded to preach truth. What is truth? What is truth? They are so-called preachers, in the church, who don't preach truth. And so how do I know if I'm hearing truth? The next point, God, God's word transforms. We're going to come back to that, but I want to read these verses so we I can answer that. God's word transforms. Jonah 3, verses 4 through 10 says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and none of us shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They they called for a fast and they they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe. He covered himself in sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man or beast, herd nor flock, taste anything let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let, every, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, and how they turn from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Verse 1, again, it tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 2, he's commanded to go preach the message that's given to him. Jonah heads to Nineveh and begins to preach, and his sermon convict the entire nation, even up to the king. Everybody was convicted. And they fasted, and they prayed, and repented, and they cried out to the Lord for forgiveness how in the world now did y'all hear what jonah preached he said yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown and everybody was convicted how in the world do these few words leave such an impact was is that really what jonah said is that all he said you know some believe this account simply sums up what jonah may have said may have summed up his sermon there may have been more but I don't believe that's for us to know. I believe what God wants us to know is the power of his word. Again, in verse two, God commands Jonah to preach the message that he gave him. So when Jonah goes to preach, and this goes back to my last point, how do we know if we're hearing truth? When Jonah goes to preach, he is not to preach anything but the message of the Lord. When Jonah preaches, he is not to preach anything but, but God's word. So he's not go he's not sent there to go preach seven keys to financial breakthrough. He was not called to preach a political sermon or even a social justice sermon. He was called to preach God's word. So how do you know if you're in the right church? How do you know if you're in the right church? God's word is preached. It's preached in context. No I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to preach social justice issues, or politics because everybody needs to know what's going on in the community. Everybody needs to know what's going on in the nation. Everybody needs to know how political figures are handling their cities and their state and the nation. It's not wrong. It's healthy. But at the end of the day, social justice doesn't save us. At the end of the day, your political party cannot save you. Money cannot save or bring peace to your heart. There is only one way to salvation, and it's not a direction, it's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. We're not called to preach how to get out of debt and be debt-free in 2023. There are preachers who preach politics and social justice, and they call it a gospel message because Jesus is included in the sermon. But we're not called to include Jesus in a sermon Or a small group conversation we're not called to include Jesus in the message Jesus is the message Jesus is the conversation people in the world they're too broken people in this world are too broken their hearts are too shattered to hear anything else but God's Word people's hearts are too shattered for us to preach anything except the love of God displayed through his son people are hurting And they're broken. They're looking to worldly pleasures for only what God can give them. We're called to preach a better way and that way is Jesus Christ. That is the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. That's why he said, I don't just tell the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We are commanded to preach Christ and him crucified. Ascended unto heaven. We're called to preach the truth from God's word. That's the only way people can be transformed. God commanded Jonah to preach his spoken word. God speaks to us the same way through his written word. And we're commanded to preach what God has said to us in his word. Again, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. It says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So all scriptures, breathed out by God, the Holy Spirit. Before we receive Christ, before we receive Christ, we're dead in our sins. We're hostile towards the things of God. It takes a supernatural occurrence, strength beyond this galaxy, for our eyes to be open to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit, Opens our eyes to the truth of the gospel. And then he breathed the scriptures again. If the scriptures are breathed out by the Holy Spirit, he's the one that opens our eyes to the truth of God's word. And then he points us to the life of Jesus Christ. That's what we're... He points us to the life of Jesus Christ. If the scriptures are breathed out by God, everything we need is in scripture. Everything that transforms a person is in scripture. So why are we looking elsewhere? Why are churches looking to other things to preach, hoping that people will be convicted? Why are preachers looking other other ways and elsewhere, hoping that people will find peace? There is nothing else to preach that will bring peace to someone's heart if it's not in God's word. I know I've been saying it, but I can't say it enough. There is nothing else that we can preach except the gospel of Jesus Christ. I always tell people, if you go to Chick-fil-A and they tell you, we only serve chicken on first Mondays, would you consider that a chicken joint? You would not consider it a chicken place. So you cannot go into a church that claims to be a gospel-centered church and they only preach it on communion. That is not a gospel church. We preach Christ. God commands Jonah to preach his word. And when Jonah preaches his word, people are transformed. It's the word that transforms. We're commanded to preach truth. Truth is found in God's word. Jonah didn't know it. Jonah didn't know this, but he was very fortunate. He was very fortunate. He was able to preach and get the type of response that he got in Scripture. You know, many prophets didn't get that same response. That's amazing. He repented, or he preached, and got the greatest altar call. There's a lot of preachers that preach the same message, and they were laid out. They were, they were killed. They were tortured. But if you ever take the time, I want you if you ever take the time look up how Jesus' disciples died, it would mess your mind up. What does that tell us? It tells us that everyone is not receptive to the truth. Not everyone will have the same response as the Ninevites. Everyone may not seem convicted by your lifestyle. Some people may seem annoyed, but the scripture helps us to understand, again, how wounded this world is. I said this is a world full of people with shattered hearts, broken hearts, Because of sin, sin ripped and it shredded the minds and hearts of every person in existence. That's why there's so much chaos. That's why there's so much hurt and that's why there's so much pain in this world. That's why this world is hurting. But we wonder why wouldn't they want truth? If they're hurting, why wouldn't they receive the gospel? Why wouldn't they want their wounds healed? Why would they reject the truth? And the reason why is because the truth stitches wounds. When you're wounded, it takes the truth to bind those wounds together. That's why they say the truth hurts, because stitches aren't comfortable. Stitches don't feel good all the time. But the truth comes and it says, let me put this wound together. That's why they reject the truth, because no one wants to feel uncomfortable. But that, that should not stop us from stitching the wounds. We take God's word and we stitch the wounds of those broken and shattered people. And when they say, I'll leave me alone, kick the dust under your feet and you keep it moving. But there's some people that are that, that are willing to go through it and say, this hurts, but I need it. We're called to preach truth. We're called to stitch those that are wounded. Through God's word. He's commanded to preach. He goes to Nineveh. He preaches God's word. They repent. Bring me to my next point. My closing point. God can use our testimony. God can use our testimony. I want to go back to Jonah 1, 17. uh, Jonah 117. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, what I'm about to say is not written specifically in scripture, but it's something I want you to think about. I'm not about to go. I just said we don't preach anything but God's word. I'm not about to go left field. But I want you to think about this. Jonah goes and preaches to a group, he preaches to a nation of hostile, rebellious sinners, and they repent, and they ask God for forgiveness. Something I want to point out about Nineveh. Nineveh was a nation of rebels, we know that. They were a prideful nation, we know that. They were an arrogant nation, we know that. But something to pay attention to is the fact that Ninevites were worshipers. They were worshipers. They didn't worship the true and living God, but they were sincere, idle, Worshippers, they worship this false god Dagon. When you walked into the city of Nineveh, there was a large statue of Dagon that stood at the entrance. As you walked throughout the city, there were vendors, there were stores selling items for altar, for altar decorations, and items that were dedicated to this false god. It was rare when you walked into a Ninevite home and you didn't find an altar dedicated to Dagon. There were nights where one could hear the sound of music and shouting and dancing miles outside the city as the nation would feast and have festivals dedicated to this false god. This was a nation of worshipers who dedicated their lives to Dagon. But in the midst of this idolatrous lifestyle, while they're involved in this demonic activity, while all this is taking place, God is using Jonah's situation to teach everyone a lesson, even those who would read this book later. The more I read this account of Jonah, I'm not only mind blown at how God spares the nation of idolaters, but but I'm mind blown and I'm in awe of how God makes Jonah relatable. The Ninevites, they were worshipers, again, they were worshipers of Dagon, the thing about Dagon I want you to focus on, Dagon was half man, half fish. So the Ninevites were worshipers of a great fish. They were worshipers of a great fish. Now, now worship, worship is, not, is not recognition of one's existence. Worship is a word of intimacy. Worship is a word of intimacy gives a sense of oneness, closeness. You can't get any closer when you're intimate. That's why the word intimate starts with the word in I in because it part of going in. That's what Psalm 27 for one thing that I have desired of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's intimacy. Psalm 1611. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That is intimacy. Intimacy brings us closer together to the point where we become one. That was the heart posture of the Ninevites when it came to Dagon. They were intimate with this false god. They sought to become one with this false god. They sought to dwell in the depths of this false god's presence. Nineveh was intimate with a great fish. They were completely swallowed by the demonic influence of this great fish. So who outside of Nineveh could relate to what they were experiencing? Who could relate to where Nineveh was in their walk with God? Well, it just so happens that just one day ago, according to the text there was a preacher about 500 miles away from the city who was intimate with a great fish. Three For three days and three nights, Jonah was so close to the fish that they became one. So wherever the fish went, Jonah went. Wherever the fish went down, Jonah went down. When the fish went up, Jonah went up. When the fish stopped, Jonah stopped because they were intimate. So Jonah walks into the city And when he's preaching, his preaching is no longer limited to head knowledge. It's no longer limited to what he's read. It's no longer limited to what he's heard. But now Jonah can preach from what he's experienced. Jonah was a preacher who fell. He was a church leader who fell. He was a preacher who fell short and ended up facing consequences. He repented. And after three days, God caused the fish to vomit him up. The Bible says in verse 1 and 2 again, as soon as Jonah was vomited up on dry land, God commanded him to go to Nineveh. God didn't tell him to take a shower. God did not tell him to change his clothes. God did not tell him to get a toothbrush and wash his face. God didn't tell him to do something with his hair. He said, get up and go to Nineveh. So when he arrives to the city, he arrives looking like everything he's been through. So when he opens his mouth, he can preach from experience, he can say to the Ninevites when he begins to preach, I too, I too was intimate with a great fish. And what you see is the result of my intimacy. When you smell me, you smell my intimacy. When you see me, this is what your idol worship looks like to God. When you smell me, this is the fragrance that goes up in the nostrils of God when you worship. Dagon. So Jonah's sermon could be so effective because he was where they are. Jonah was a preacher who fell short. He faced the consequences. He repented and God restored him, but he still had the dirt of his past on him. Some of you have sinned against God. You've repented. You went through counseling. God restored you, but you still have encounters that remind you of your past mistake. Some people have messed up. Again, God, you repented, God restored them, but years later, they're still fighting against incurable viruses and diseases because of their past mistakes. Some people have lived sober for years. They repented, God restored them, but parts of their body is still damaged because of their past mistakes. Some people have made mistakes that hurt their loved ones. You repented, God restored you, but that loved one remains unforgiving, refusing to see how God can change your heart. Jonah fell short. He repented. God forgave him. God restored him. But even afterward, Jonah still looks like and he smells like everything he's experienced. They're still He is still covered in the evidence of his mistake. There are people just like Jonah. But my prayer for the backslider and for the Christian who's still battling with the reminders of their mistake, my prayer is that God would change your view of what seems to be a setback. Instead of seeing your past as a setback, begin to see how God can use your past to bring someone else closer to him. Some of you are where someone, it was some, where someone is now. Someone is headed down a dark road, the same road you went down. Someone is getting ready to make a mistake that will tear their family apart. Someone is going to do something that will leave lifelong damage to their body, but God can use your mistake, your past to bring someone to him. God can use your past to reveal his love to a sinner. And so instead of seeing your past failures as a setback, find someone headed down that same road and say, come here, let's talk. Baby girl, come here, sit down. I understand where where you are. I understand what you're looking for, but I was your age once. And let me tell you the result of that decision. So no matter what condition you're in, because of your past, God can still use you. Whether Jonah accepted it or not, whether he knew it or not, God made him relatable through his past mistake. Jonah preached to a sinful nation who worshiped a great fish. They were looking for intimacy from a great fish. They looked for peace and strength from a worldly possession. And because of that, because they sought intimacy, because they sought the pleasures of this world, they were put in the place to deserve nothing but God's wrath. A hostile and rebellious nation of idolaters. That's Nineveh. But the sad truth is that Nineveh wasn't doing anything outside of normal human behavior. All of us have a little Ninevite in us. We have a tendency to look to worldly pleasures, looking for satisfaction that only God can give. We all have a little bit of Ninevite in us. Nineveh wasn't doing anything outside of unnatural human behavior. They weren't doing anything that humans don't do, all because of sin. God is holy and he's righteous. We talked about how intimacy gives us a sense of unity and closeness. That's why again the word intimacy starts with i n n because there's a sense of being inside or being under God is holy and righteous but Genesis 1:27 it tells us that he made us in his image and in his likeness that means at one point man lived in perfect intimacy with God but out of arrogance man began looking elsewhere for intimacy man looked to his own desires so we rebelled against God with hope to live on our own terms our rebellion had ushered sin into the world poisoning the mind and heart of every person in existence sin separated us from God and it put us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath we too were just like Nineveh we were unfit to live and unready to die God's judgment would be poured out on all mankind because of our rebellion but God is love He loved us so much that instead of pouring out his wrath on us, instead of giving us what we deserve, he gave us his son. Jesus, God the son, came to this earth and he lived a completely sinless life. Even being tempted at all points of sin, he remained sinless. Even when people treated him wrong, he displayed the forgiveness of the father by loving his enemies. He displayed the holiness and the righteousness of the father by preaching truth. Whether people liked it or not, he was sinless. He lived a sinless life and he preached a sinless life. And because he was so sinless, he took the wrath of the father upon himself, the wrath that we deserve. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was mocked. He was humiliated. There were patches of hair ripped from his beard. They ripped the flesh off his back and it slammed a wooden beam, no no less than 200 pounds on his raw flesh and made him carry it uphill where he would die. They hung him on the cross and they spent the next few hours mocking him as he hung on the cross. In the darkest season of his life, he kept preaching. Even while he hung on the cross, he declared the Father's forgiveness to sinners. Even while hanging on the cross, he declared the Father's love for the family. Even while he hung on the cross, he declared how God can save and bring us to himself. Even if you're a thief, he preached holiness of God by recognizing how God hates sin and separates himself from it. Even in the darkest season of his life, Jesus still on the cross, he turned that cross into a podium and still preached because he was commanded to preach truth even to his enemies. He preached with nails in his hands and his feet, 72 thorns in his scalp. He preached until the breath left his body. He preached until there was nothing left to be done or said Jesus was a preacher even unto death. He lived a sinless life and he took the condemnation of the father upon himself by dying on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but three days later, he bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. So if your faith is in Jesus, when you surrender to him as the Lord of your life, you are saved from the penalty of sin. And so though sin may have influence, it will no longer have dominion. When we're saved, God the Holy Spirit fills us and guides us in the path of righteousness, brings conviction when we fall. He points us back to Christ when we fall. He reveals his power and strength to restore and make things right when we fall. That's conviction. God does not condemn his children. He placed all that punishment on Jesus Christ On the cross so don't condemn yourself don't condemn you hear the word of the Lord hear the word of the Lord the word of the Lord that was spoken to Jonah speaks to you saying you're forgiven now arise stand up and go serve I want you to look back over your life and see where the Lord has brought you from look at where you are in your walk with Jesus Christ since he saved your soul you may not be where you want to be but thank God you're not where you used to be somebody needs your testimony someone needs to hear what you've been through there may still be evidence and reminders of your mistake But instead of seeing that as a setback, I pray that God would renew your mind daily to see that as an opportunity to share your testimony and your faith with someone who's headed down the road you once went down. Who is where you were? Who in your small group, who in your neighborhood, who at your job is going down the same path that you went down? We're commanded to preach the truth. And we're commanded to preach the forgiveness of God. God is not condemning you, but he says you're forgiven. Arise, go serve. That is the word of the Lord that was spoken to Jonah. And that is the word of the Lord that is spoken to us in his written word. Arise, go serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are a forgiving God. We are broken. We are hostile. We are rebellious sinners, but yet you loved us so much. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word that transforms. We pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit would guide our eyes and our ears to nothing but your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the way. We thank you for the life. That's all Christ. Pray that our eyes will be focused on Christ in this chaotic world, that we may preach truth, Lord, because we're sinners and we messed up, there's still residue, there's still evidence, there's still reminders that we face daily. Take us back, take our minds back to what we did. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will constantly remind us that that's an opportunity to share the gospel with someone else. We thank you, Lord, for how you use our mistakes for your glory. We use or you use our flaws to bring us closer to Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would apply everything that's said and done to our everyday lives as we go about from day to day. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name, amen.